may be seated. Thank you all for coming this morning. I got a good word. Love to preach the word. It is so inspirational to me. Um, good. I uh, uh, wanted you to know this too um, before I jump into it. Pastor Joe and I have been involved in a few of those LifeWise meetings. And they, they do have our stamp of approval. Um, they do. They, they are a good, awesome, godly organization. Um, and that, that's the thing that causes me and, and even Pastor Joe to get on board with that is if it was a good organization, no thanks. If they're just trying to do good, no thanks. But it's the godliness that causes us to, to link arms with them. And honestly, as we were praying for our youth pastor this morning, I, I was praying that uh, that youth pastor Adam could be used to just knock down all kinds of principalities of darkness and just preach and teach the word of God to as many children as possible. And if, if we can have an ambassador from New Hope Church going out across the country, so be it. So be it. And just be proud to partner up with something like that. So it, it is a good organization. The, the more we learn about them, they want to change the young people with the word of God. Not just a good organization, it's a godly organization. So that makes all the difference. Um, all right, that's as nice as I'm going to be to you today. <laughs> uh, I, I love the word of God. I love the word of God. And, and I, I like to try and tell everyone, when you read the Bible, try and, and get what the Lord, I mean, it's written by the hand of men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what that means is, is God is trying to teach us things and communicate things. And I believe very much he's trying to communicate something through what we're going to go over this morning. Now I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball to you. But much attention has been given to uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24 over the years. Uh, I know if I say Matthew chapter 24, a lot of your ears perk up. Because that's a very popular chapter in the Bible. Uh, the, the chapter, Matthew chapter 24, is, it's pretty much uh, entirely devoted to the return of Christ. Uh, the end of the world. The second coming. You know, you've heard phrases like that. Um, Christ predicts the destruction of the temple, which actually does happen a few decades after he spoke it. And the disciples say, tell us. When shall these things be? When, when will be the end of the world? And, and Christ go, gives this speech. Uh, lots of theologians may call it the Olivet Discourse. And it makes up Matthew chapter 24. Now, boatloads of commentaries have been uh, written on Matthew chapter 24. Myriads of preachers have preached on Matthew chapter 24. Books have been written on it. Many folks have argued over the meanings of various passages and the meanings over certain things contained in the, the, the chapter Matthew 24. And here at New Hope, I know that we have many uh, what I like to call end times experts. Uh, some of you here in New Hope, really know your stuff when it comes to the end times. Uh, I like to tease uh, Chad Martin. He's not with us today, but I like to tease Chad. I call him our in-house end times expert. Uh, we are blessed to have Chad. He's done several end times teachings over the years, and he's always on point. And there is no real argument, brothers and sisters, that we're in the last days. No, no real argument you can make against it. They're here. They're upon us, 
and, and it's almost, it's rather easy to discern the signs of the times that we're in now. Amen? You can see them all around us. But the rapture has not happened yet. It has not happened yet. Because when it happens, I aim to be out of here. The, the end of the world has not happened. The New Testament church is still here for now. We're still in the church age or even the church dispensation, if you will. We are commanded to occupy till he comes. So we still have to continue to, one of my favorite verses, fight the good fight of faith. As the Apostle Paul encouraged young Timothy to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Now with many events in Matthew chapter 24, these end time events happening and looming above us and considering through the years all the time that and attention that has been given to Matthew chapter 24, I wonder if there's anything in Matthew chapter 23 that is of any importance to us today. Matthew chapter 23 has been called the eight woes by many theologians. I kind of like that. The eight woes, because in that chapter, the Lord Jesus pronounces eight woes upon the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, a woe is a ruinous calamity, great trouble. A, a woe is affliction. A woe is bad, 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 to make it plain. A woe is not good. Uh, 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 you do not want a woe to be pronounced upon you by the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want the Lord Jesus coming and pointing at you saying woe unto you. Because a woe is bad. It means something bad. Ruinous calamity, affliction, great trouble. It is going to be pronounced upon these, these uh, Pharisees and these scribes. And a woe is something bad. Okay. Now, brothers and sisters, you're going to notice something as we look at Matthew chapter 23, and I do hope that you notice it. I want you to notice how harsh the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah. I want you to notice how harsh Jesus is on the scribes and the Pharisees. I want you to notice the strong language that he uses. Notice the verbiage he uses. Notice the anger in Jesus' voice. Almost even the contempt that is in the Lord Jesus' voice. What do you mean, Jesus? Meek and mild Jesus? Gentle Jesus? Lowly Jesus? You're going to tell me he's harsh towards people? I thought he went around hugging everybody all the time. I thought he loved everyone and was nice all the time. Jesus would never offend anybody. Well, brothers and sisters, I'll tell you to exercise discernment and judge for yourself as we look at what the Bible actually says. Okay? Now, through the years and being young and reading through the Gospels and you come across this, I have always thought to myself, why is the Lord Jesus this angry? As we're going to see with the things that he says, he almost seems overly angry. Almost like he's angrier than he ought to be. I mean, this is the Messiah, Jesus, God in flesh, the, the, the fully God, fully man. And he seems so angry and it just almost is like it's, it's not his character. And I fought that. And I want you to keep that in your back of your mind as we go through this. As we maybe can ask ourselves, why is he this angry? So he kind of jumps right into it. Matthew chapter 23 verse 1. Jesus is pretty direct. I hope you know that. 
So Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 23 today. And he's going to jump right into it. It says, Then spoke Jesus to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Now we'll stop reading there for a moment, but do you notice how Jesus jumps right into it? He's immediately, you can detect this anger in him towards these scribes and Pharisees. And actually, this isn't the first time that the Lord Jesus has, we could just say, not gotten along with the scribes and Pharisees. We'll have more on that here in a minute. But first off, who are these scribes and these Pharisees that the Lord Jesus is, is angry with, is upset with, is not getting along with? They're, they're pretty much clergymen of the day. Okay, that, that's really what they are. The religious leaders, the scribes, they were highly educated. They were educated people. There were lots of folks back then that couldn't read, couldn't write. Well, these scribes were educated. They could read and write. They could translate things from Hebrew to more modern Greek, and that's what they did. And they would write these things, and many times these scribes were what we may recognize today as almost like a lawyer, if you will. That's what the scribes were, Pharisees. These were very influential people, very influential men. They, they were trained in Torah, Torah meaning Moses' law. They were educated, very highly educated in Moses' law. They were the religious leaders. They taught the people the laws of Moses. They taught the people the Torah. In other words, the Bible that they had back then, they didn't have the New Testament, obviously. Uh, and, and these Pharisees taught that to the people. They were the, the, the church leaders, the religious leaders. Uh, the clergymen, these people were very powerful, very powerful and influential people because if you'll remember, religion was very much a part of the Jewish culture back then. It still is today. But in, in modern day America, I know that we have a hard time understanding this because in modern day America, we have millions upon tens of millions of people with no religious affiliation whatsoever, with, that are completely non-religious. But to the Jews, and especially in Jesus' time, religion was a part of their national identity. It was a part of their life, a culture. Everyday thing to them was religion. So if you were a religious leader, you were a very powerful person. You were very influential. You had a lot of clout. You had a lot of status. These scribes and these Pharisees who knew this stuff, studied this stuff, taught this stuff, were very powerful people. Um, you remember... Uh, the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He, he tells us that. His, his uh, teacher, his headmaster, whatever you want to call him, his mentor was Gamaliel. We, we'll, we'll be coming across him in the book of Acts, which we're studying on Sunday nights. He was a Pharisee. Uh, remember Nicodemus. He's probably one of the more famous Pharisees that emerges out of the scriptures to us. He was a Pharisee. And you remember Nicodemus. He came to Jesus one time. Because he had been following this man, doing these great works of God, and he couldn't understand them. And, and most of the Pharisees hated Jesus. And, and Nicodemus, this Pharisee, remember this, this highly trained, highly religious, influential man came to Jesus, and he, he couldn't understand salvation. And you remember Jesus' response to him. It's like, 
Nicodemus, you're supposed to be a teacher of these things and you don't know them yourself. That's kind of who these scribes and Pharisees were. And you'll see Jesus just does not get along with them very well. He just does not. All through the Gospels, there is just friction between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. He can't stand hypocrisy. He cannot stand hypocrisy. And you say, man, that's powerful words that you're saying that Jesus, you, you took, you're saying that he, he's this angry, this upset. He cannot stand it, is what I'm saying to you this morning. He despises hypocrisy. Jesus says they say and do not. They teach it, but they don't obey it. They preach and they teach these biblical concepts, but they themselves don't obey them. This does not sit well with Jesus at all. It, it, it makes him angry. If, if you teach it, you had better be able to abide by it yourself. Brothers and sisters, you remember I preached this months ago. Your talk had better match your walk. They must be in unison. Or you might be on the receiving end of some of the anger of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned that this isn't the first time the Lord Jesus has, has been button heads with these scribes and Pharisees. This isn't the first time he was very unhappy with them. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 14. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. We'll get it on the screens and I'll read it. Uh, but I wanted to read it to you this morning. Listen to this. This is going back earlier. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Now, now these are the words of the Lord Jesus. Okay? The, the man himself. He says, Ye hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth, and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 10 says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But Jesus answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let him alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Do you see, these are some previous uh, circumstances, some previous altercations that the Lord Jesus has had with the scribes and the Pharisees. He doesn't get along with them. He cannot stand hypocrisy. It makes our Lord and Savior Jesus angry. So angry that the, he, he's preaching and he's railing against these things. He's going at, with, at it with these scribes and Pharisees. And after it's over, the, the, the disciples come and say, Jesus, man, don't you realize you offended them? These are powerful people. These are influential people. What's Jesus say? Leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to fall into a ditch. Very powerful words from the man himself. Because he can't stand hypocrisy. Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 23, is warning the readers, don't be fake. You can't be fake. We're back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 23. We're going to skip down to verse 13 now. This is Jesus again. He says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Now, let me ask you, does Jesus sound meek and mild here? Does he sound lowly and gentle here? He doesn't at all. And here we see one of those woes that we're talking about. I began this by saying theologians call this the eight woes. He says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. He's saying, a ruinous calamity is going to come upon you, you scribes. Ruinous calamity. Great affliction is going to come upon you, scribes and Pharisees. You guys, you, you stand guard at the entrance of the kingdom of heaven, and you block other people from going in. You don't go in, and you block others who may want to go in yourselves. You won't teach the biblical truths to the people, and you don't obey them yourself. That these scribes and Pharisees, they're supposed to shepherd and usher people into the kingdom of heaven. But instead they, they stand and block the way. Instead of shepherding people in. You don't go in and you mislead others not to go in. Jesus has strong words. These are very strong words for them. And you'll notice he uses that word hypocrites. Hypocrites in the Greeks. It means actor. It means you're pretenders. It's an act. It's all big charade. You're phonies. You're fakes. Imagine this is gentle, mild. Jesus loves everybody, cares for everybody. He's saying, hypocrites. He's saying, you're phonies. Hypocrites, he's calling them in the Greek. You're pretenders. Religion is nothing more than an obligation to you. Your religion is nothing more than a job to you. It isn't who you truly are. It's not who you are. You, it's, you just like the influential lifestyle it provides. You like the financial gain that you get. You like the power that it comes with it. Jesus is not having it, brothers and sisters. Matthew chapter 23 is an expose of anyone who is a fake Christian. Jesus has come to expose it. And he, he's saying, I, I re reject anybody. He actually is angry against anyone who is a phony, who's a faker. Now, mind you, we're going to keep reading, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is just getting started. He's just getting started. Matthew chapter 23, we'll, we'll go to verse 14. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Verse 15 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woo! Jesus is not happy, is he? You notice he's repeating things. He's saying, woe unto you. You see this repeated over and over in this chapter. You see him repeating that, that word, hypocrites, hypocrites, fakers, phonies, actors. He's extremely angry with them. Extremely angry. And I, I've asked myself, man, what? He is angry. I mean, it's extremely angry. I mean, he's just belting it out. He is letting it. He's not holding back. It's like a, a dam that's broken loose, and man, Jesus is on a tirade, and he's just letting loose on these people. And, you know, I, I asked myself, why is he this upset? I mean, he almost seems like he's overly upset. I think he's, he's trying to portray this message that he does not like hypocrisy. He does not like hypocrisy. He does not tolerate acting. 
He does not tolerate it at all. And this is this over-the-top anger, because here's why. We ask ourselves, man, it almost seems like Jesus is over-the-top angry, angrier than maybe he should be. But remember, Jesus is perfect and sinless. The Bible tells us that all throughout it. So we ask ourselves, why is he this angry? Well, when evil or sin is done, it reflects poorly on the one who committed it. Amen? If I uh, uh, do something evil and and you see me do it, it, it's a a poor reflection of my character. Uh, It's common sense. But when evil or sin is done and the Lord's name is attached to it, it reflects poorly on the Lord. This is why Jesus is upset. This is why Jesus is angry as he is. Hypocrites not only tarnish their own reputation, they're tarnishing the Lord's reputation. They not only discredit themselves, they discredit the Lord. They discredit the sacred scriptures. He he does not like that. It provokes him. When we act the part of a hypocrite, when we portray one thing and then live, lead a lifestyle of another, it's poking God. It's poking a sleeping bear. It's provoking to him. It causes him to rise up in anger. The Lord does not take it very kindly when you and I misrepresent him. He says, you shall receive the greater damnation. How? I don't know if that means it could mean greater punishment in hell, great, greater punishment because you misrepresented the sacred scripture. You misrepresented the purity of the gospel. You misrepresented the message of the Bible. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Who shall? The hypocrites. Because they misrepresented. You know, the Lord does not take it very kindly because by acting like hypocrites, we cause others to reject Christ. You understand that? That's why he's so over-the-top angry. It is a misrepresentation of the Lord our God. Hypocrites make others into twofold children of hell, the Lord Jesus says. When we act a certain way, when we live a lifestyle of hypocrisy, it causes others to become worse than you are. It misleads people. When, when we are hypocrites, do you understand that it validates the criticisms of the enemies of God? It validates what they say. There's always naysayers to the church. There's always naysayers and unbelievers in the word of God. There's always people saying it's phony, it's fake. And when the church is full of hypocrites, it validates what they say. And the Lord Jesus ain't going to stand for it. He's not going to have it. It is misleading it misleads people. People say, oh, if that's what Christianity was, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, sometimes I feel myself like I align with Jesus in the anger that's in him. You look back at the, even some of the modern history here in the United States at what some of these large ministries, some, one of, some of these very influential pastors and Bible teachers have perverted and twisted and they've had these great collapses and, and falls. And I feel like it's, it's inoculated the United States against the true teachings of God. I feel the same way, Jesus. You, you see his anger, and at first you're like, man, isn't he a little over-the-top angry? But then you start seeing why he's angry, and then I feel myself aligning with the anger. I feel the same anger that Jesus does. Preach the real whole truth. Teach the truth. But so many 
men and women have used this for personal gain, for prosperity, for power, for prestige. And the Lord Jesus is not having it. It's misleading. See, this is starting to, Jesus' anger is starting to make sense, isn't it? It's starting to make sense. This explains Jesus' anger. This explains why Jesus isn't too worried about offending people. Hey, Jesus, those Pharisees, they're important. You just offended them. Leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, won't they both fall into the ditch? He doesn't sound very apologetic, does he? He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Let me, let me print a retraction. Let me, let me correct myself. Let me clarify. He says, leave them alone. Every plant that my father hasn't plucked or planted is going to be plucked up. He ain't worried if you, if you don't like him, don't like what he said. The Lord Jesus is not happy with the scribes and the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. Skip down to verse 16. It says, Woe unto you, we're still in Matthew 23, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it's nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? You see, the Lord Jesus is saying, oh, if you swear on the temple, if you swear an oath on the house of God where God's presence dwells, no big deal. But if you make an oath on the gold of the temple, you better hold true to your oath. If you swear on the, 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 uh, the gold of the temple, you better not mess with the money. The money's got to keep flowing. The money's important. Keep the money flowing. But if you swear on the house of God, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Don't touch the money, the scribes and the Pharisees are saying. That's got to keep flowing. Jesus calls them fools and blind. These are some strong words, amen, coming from the Messiah himself. He actually repeats that statement several times. Ye fools and blind, because they are misrepresenting God. They're misrepresenting the Lord. They are not rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you know that's what we're supposed to do when we read our Bibles, when we study our Bibles? We're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. That means read it for what it is. Teach it for what it is. Don't put your spin on it. Don't make it say something that it doesn't say. Lots of people are so good at that, they will cherry pick certain things and build a doctrine that's not in there and they'll build one. The prosperity preachers are famous for this. Teach it as it is, as what the writers intended it to say. You know, throughout this entire chapter, I'm using the King James Version, um, you'll notice some exclamation points. You know, especially after it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites, you'll notice an exclamation point. Jesus isn't just saying these things in a normal tone. Understand that. He's not saying, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. No, there's, a, there's an exclamation point. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's how it's meant to be read. That's how it's written to us. He's exclaiming them. He's pronouncing woe upon anyone who's a hypocrite. Matthew chapter 23 
Verse 23. Again, here's that phrase again. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. You, you see, he's actually starting to break some things down here. That The hypocrite is good at making sure that everyone knows they give. The hypocrite is good at giving of their abundance. The hypocrite is good at making sure the pastor sees their good deeds. The hypocrite is good at making sure other congregants see their good deeds. You see, these are outward things. Making sure that people see these things. This is an image type thing. The hypocrites want a good image. They want to be clean looking. They want to look good. They want to look religious, sound religious, seem religious. They want to appear religious, but they're not so good at obeying the teachings of the Bible. The weightier things. Jesus says judgment, which is interchangeable with justice. They're not so good at justice, mercy, and faith. They're not so good at living and promoting these things that Jesus mentions. Judgment, mercy, and faith. You see, they, they seem righteous. They appear to be righteous. They look authentic. They seem genuine. They give a lot. They sure are dressed nice every Sunday morning. But they're not so good at pleasing the Lord. They're not so good at obedience. They're, they're not, they're, there's no spiritual sustenance inside of them. Though they have the look going for them on the outside, though they may have a tie on and a nice suit and look very pastorly, there is bankruptcy inside of them concerning the things of God. They're morally bankrupt. You know, I always wonder... Especially on Sunday mornings when I'm driving to church. You know, out where I live, there's not a ton of traffic. And this morning I passed one of my neighbors. And they, you know, my road's kind of a slow 20 miles an hour or so, dead-end road. And I always have the tie on. And I am always have a button-up dress shirt and dress pants. And I always wonder, you know, when I pass them or when I pass anyone that doesn't know what I am, I, I can guarantee they assume He's probably going to church. I mean, it's Sunday morning, and that guy's dressed in a, a, a suit and tie, and he's cleaned up. He's going to church. I mean, it's, it, what, what business meetings are happening on Sunday mornings? Not very many. So on the outward, Jesus is saying to these hypocrites, they, they look the part. He looks like a pastor. He looks like a religious teacher. He knows the phrases. He can even quote a few scriptures. But Jesus is concerned on the inside. They're, the, the hypocrite on the inside is bankrupt of the things of God. Matthew chapter 23 verse 24. And Jesus ain't done yet. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. I like that saying. I might have I used this in a sermon a while back, but I got a mad, bad memory. Hopefully you've got a bad memory too, because I'm going to say it again. This was years ago. I worked at Cardinal Health, um, and I was in a meeting. And there was some directors in the meeting, and I don't know, maybe a dozen people or so. There were some other supervisors or some managers, you know, department heads, so on and so forth. And we were in this meeting, and, you know, I was listening to everyone, and, 
they're talking back and forth, and it seemed to me, I was kind of being quiet, wasn't saying much, but it seemed to me that folks were making a big deal over a, something that was a non-issue, almost like they were missing the point, like the meetings about this, we're supposed to be trying to solve this, and you guys are focusing on this, and it's a non-issue. What in, what in the world's going on? So I just sat quietly for a, a little bit, and it kept going on. Finally, I'm like, uh, what, Jason? You got something to say? So I, I quoted Jesus. I did. I said, this really seems like we're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. That's what I said in the meeting. And my boss, he was in that meeting. I love the dude. He was a good guy. He, he said to me, what did you just say? <laughs> His name was Dan. I said, Dan, it seems to me that we're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. And when I, I said that, I saw him. He, he had, uh, you know, everyone takes some notes and so on and so forth in a meeting. And when I said that, I saw him writing. You know, he was writing something down. And I didn't realize, but what he was doing was writing down what I said, the, the saying that I said. We're, we're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Well, you know, I didn't know it at the time, you know, and meeting moved on, whatever. And later that day, I, I went to stop past his office. His office was kind of in a central location, and he had a, a glass, not a glass door, but his door had a big piece of glass in it. And there's a lot of foot traffic that went past his office. And he had, I looked on his door, and he had... Uh, don't strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> Written on his door, he had taped it up facing outward so that all the people walking past would stop and, and they would look and they would read this saying that they didn't know at the time. It was the quote of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 23. And I saw that on my boss's door and I kind of said, hey, you, you wrote that down? And he said, yeah, he said, Jason, that, I thought that was profound. I thought that was awesome. I can't believe you said that. And I said, well, I said well, actually, it comes from the Bible. And he said, really? I said, yeah, it's a, a scripture in the Bible. And he's like, oh, man. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit. But it was funny. So, you know, and it, it, the whole day at Cardinal Health, everyone, you know, it was the talk of the town. What, what's he got that hanging there? What's that mean, strain at a gnat and swallow a camel? And they didn't know, but it was the, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll get back to Jesus isn't done yet. He's not done yet. You think maybe he's unloaded all of his anger? No, he's still going to keep going. Now, up next, Jesus, he's going to make a couple of analogies, okay, in these next few verses. And the, the analogies, the couple analogies that he makes, they really, they both mean the same thing. Matthew chapter 23, we'll be in verse 25 now. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. He says, Thou blind Pharisee, clean first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Verse 27 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. 
You see those little analogies of the, the cup and the platter and the, the sepulcher that he's making. He's saying, that's what you hypocrites are like. He's saying, you look like church people. You look the part. You look like religious people. You raise your hands like other Christians do during worship. You say, amen, brother, right when someone should say, amen, brother. You know the words to the songs. You nod your head when the pastor makes a good point. You're always in the right place at the right time. You strategically hug the right people in church. You strategically shake the right people's hand in church. But it's just a polishing of the outside. Is all it is. All those things look good on the outside. But Jesus says, what about the inside? Who here would like to eat? If, if I invited you to my home and I said, here, my wife has prepared some, some wonderful food. And I want you to have some. And we're going to be using this dishware. It's, it's special china that's been handed down generation to generation in my family. Look how beautiful it is. And, and it was so nice and pretty. You could tell it was old and valuable. But then you looked on the inside and I hadn't washed it in 10 years. There's old food in there and crumbs and maybe a couple bugs or mold inside there. You're going to say, I ain't eating out of that thing. Jesus says, that's the hypocrite. That's the hypocrite. Looks great on the outside until you take a peek on the inside. It's disgusting in there. All those things look good on the outside, but what about the inside? Is the inside washed? That's what I'm concerned with. Is it as clean as the outside appears to be? Jesus says, what about your heart? Do you truly believe the things you're saying? When you raise your hands in worship, is it done in a genuine manner? You raise your hands because you're fully surrendering, because you want to worship, you desire to worship. He's concerned on the inside. Or have you just polished the outside to fool everybody, including yourself? Because you're not going to fool the Lord. True Christianity starts on the inside of a person and then comes out of them. It's birth on the inside. Christianity is in the heart. It's in the heart. God's concerns are what is in your heart. What's in there? Does your heart truly belong to Christ? I just wonder if the Lord Jesus ripped open our chest this morning in a spiritual way. What would he find? Would he find extortion, excess in dead men's bones? Or would he find it truly washed and regenerated? If he opened up your chest cavity and he looked in there, would he find a penitent heart? Would he find a heart that's been humbled? Would he find a repentant heart? Or would he find it just dirty, full of cobwebs and all the smut of the world? Brothers and sisters, when you shout amen or you lift your hands in worship, does it come from a genuine heart? Oh, we got a little bit more, but we're going to wrap up with some of this. So don't get ready to check out just yet. Because we're going to wrap up with some of Jesus' strongest words yet. You think he's been going off. He, there's more to come. The, the God-man is not very happy. The image of the invisible God is not happy. Matthew 23 verse 33 says this, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men 
and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. You see, Jesus is verbiage here. He's calling these hypocrites serpents. He's calling them vipers. Jesus is letting these religious folks have it for for holding the truth in unrighteousness, for suppressing the biblical truth. Anyone who suppresses it, anyone who blocks it, inhibits others from learning it and knowing it and entering into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus calls them a viper. He says all the righteous blood shed upon the earth is going to come down on you and you're guilty just like the ones who committed the murders themselves. That's what he means when he says, woe unto you. Ruinous calamity is going to come upon you hypocrites. Because he does not tolerate hypocrisy. He had no room for it. No room for it in the kingdom of heaven. Does anyone remember the third commandment or ten commandments? I love the ten commandments. Preached on them a while back. But the third commandment, I always thought like someone taught me, an easy way to remember the third commandment, you know, if you put your three fingers up, the third one, you know, if you take that middle finger down, it kind of creates a little V. It can kind of give you a hint of the word vain. Thou shalt not take the Lord or the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Now, I like the King James Version of the Bible. But it was translated in the 1600s. So we do lose a little bit in translation over time on this verse. You know, over time, language does change. Words can take on different meanings that they didn't used to mean. So we do lose a little bit in translation on this third commandment where it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Would be more clear to us nowadays to mean, Thou shalt not carry the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Or thou shalt not bear the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It means more than just using his name as a curse word. That's kind of the modern adaptation or the the modern meaning to us. And that is wrong. It means more than that. Now, Taking the Lord's name and using it as a curse word is blasphemous in itself. But this commandment means more than that. Don't limit it to just that. This commandment means that we are not permitted. We are restricted from living, carrying His name, bearing His name, or, or being Christians, or proclaiming that we're Christians, and saying I'm a Christian, and living evil lifestyles. You are, you are restricted from that. That is out of bounds. It is intolerable. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. If you remember when I preached on the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews especially, they actually mean that, believe that this is an unforgivable sin. This is an unforgivable offense. If you live a, a life of hypocrisy and you claim and bear and carry God's name and then you commit evil and live an evil lifestyle, they actually believe this is an unforgivable sin. We are not permitted to. You know, this this hypocrisy thing is a bigger deal than what we think. It is. Uh, Man, if if I can ask you to make your way forward, please. We're going to bring this to a close, but not before 
we look at the crux of it all. Because this is, this is kind of like the main problem with hypocrisy. Yes, we know it leads others astray. It misrepresents God. And all those things contribute to the anger that we see in the Lord Jesus. But when we live however we want, and then we claim Christianity, what we're really doing is saying, I don't fear God. That's one of the main problems with being a hypocrite. And when hypocrites are in our church, when we have hypocrites here locally in New Hope Church, and we bear the name of God, we proclaim that we're Christians, we're, we proclaim that we're good, we're washed, we're regenerated, but we're not obedient to the scriptures, we're living a, a, an actor's life, a pretender's life, what we're saying to our community here in Janesville is, hey everybody, we don't fear God here at New Hope Church. We don't fear His wrath. We don't fear His warnings. We don't fear His might. We don't fear His wrath. We are not afraid of that. And this turns people away. It turns people away. You know why? Because I believe that as messed up and lost as this world is, there's still a whole lot of people out there seeking truth, looking for the real deal. The real deal. There, there are people out there that, that are looking for a church. They're looking for a pastor. They're looking for brothers and sisters. They're looking for congregants that fear God. And that fear of God causes them to live a real, genuine Christian life. I know there's people out there. I know there are. They're looking for the real deal. Even through all the phonies and the fakes over the years. Even through all the falls and the collapses of huge ministries. Even through all the, the, the poor garbage prosperity gospel that's put forth in this nation. I know that there still is the real out there. There's people looking for the real deal. We have to rid the hypocrisy out of this church, out of the, the, our hearts, and get it out of us so that we don't make this, send this message to our community. Hey, everyone, we don't fear the Lord here at New Hope Church. Because that's what you're saying. When we leave here, we'll dismiss here in a little bit. When you go out into the community, to, the, to Walmart, to the gas station, and, and you're acting just like the world, that's what you're saying to our community. Hey, I do not fear God. I am not afraid of His might or His power. It's not a big deal to me. That's one of the main problems with hypocrisy. When God's people don't fear God and act however they want, it damages the kingdom of God. Many people live however they want and then they clean up for church on Sundays. It sends a bad message and Jesus won't tolerate it. So many of us live this way and we clean up for church on Sundays, not even realizing we've angered a holy God. We've provoked God. We've poked the sleeping bear. We've messed with the sleeping giant. Not that God is sleeping, but just an analogy. Brothers and sisters, can we stand to our feet? We always open our altars here at New Hope Church and we, 
we like to close with a, a, a worship song. These altars will be open, but take heed to this stuff this morning. I know that it's harsh. I know that the words of our Lord Jesus are harsh, but they're in there. I didn't make any of this up. None of it. I'm only expounding upon it. I'm only telling you what Matthew chapter 23 says. Take heed to it this morning. It's serious stuff. Jesus is clearly angry in Matthew chapter 23. But be careful that his anger isn't directed towards you or that it's not directed towards New Hope Church. Be careful that the eight woes don't get pronounced upon you. Amen? Amen. These altars are open.